Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Tenacity Strength Podcast. I am one half of the show. Larry Brown, my co-host, Vaughn Ateen, is still fighting crime in Gotham City. Uh, apparently, the Joker has gotten loose because he doesn't like the new Suicide Squad movie. But hey, what can you do? Uh, in any event, we're going to keep this train rolling. And today, we have somebody who, if you've ever heard the Drake song, Started From The Bottom, uh, this guy is it. Uh, he's been... We follow each other for a number of years on Twitter, uh, various social media outlets over the years. And um, he's literally went from a fat kid to a heavyweight bodybuilder, heavyweight championship bodybuilder. Um, ladies and gentlemen, out of Ohio, Derek Lutz. Derek, how are you today? I am great. How are you doing, Larry? Good, good, good. I'm glad that you joined me today. Um so like I've said, we've followed each other for a number of years, and I'm semi-familiar with your story, but our audience may not be. Uh, so tell us, uh, you know, where you're from, uh, how you got into bodybuilding, and, uh, you know, just the basic nuts and bolts of Derek. Yeah, so I am from Ohio. Uh, Tiffin Moore, specifically, is kind of middle of nowhere. It's geographic wise it's probably about an hour and a half northwest of columbus hour south of toledo so it's kind of between columbus and the michigan border um how i got into bodybuilding well i played sports growing up uh you know flag football t-ball baseball um, ymca basketball all that kind of stuff so i was was fairly active but other than that i was still a fat kid so outside of the, of the sports, I was, I grew up husky. It was a word my mom always called it. Mm. I was husky. Mm -hmm. I wore husky clothes and uh, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger as I got through school and as I got through to high school. And then my first two days for high school, uh, I lost like probably 40 pounds over the two weeks of two days, like 30 or 40 pounds. A lot of it was fluid weight, but mm -hmm. I, I, I losing quite a bit just because I wasn't used to the, the activity to the, the, the strenuous activity. And then I just, I was supposed to work out for football. I never really did. I was still lazy, but then there's something clicked between my junior and senior year to where my coach said, like, you have all the smarts to be a starting player, but you don't have the physical strength. So I started working out and that's where I fell in love with weightlifting. As far as that goes. Um, I started to eat everything under the sun. Um, I put on, uh, I went from like 240, to like 300 and I think, I think it was like 315 at my absolute heaviest before my senior year. And in the time, like you're in high school, you start creatine, pre-workout powders, protein powders. Mm -hmm. I remember I found animal pump. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I, on the can, it says, Hey, check out the message board, check out the forum. So I went to the animal pack forum, which I believe is still up and running. Um, that's where a lot of the OGs meet are met mm -hmm. from the animal days. And, uh, that's actually how I got into bodybuilding was just through that. The actual sport of bodybuilding, but I still trained for like an athlete, like a football player. And then, uh, about halfway through my senior year of football, I was kind of over it. 
over football, over like just want to be done with high school sports. Um, I had the opportunity to play in college. I just, I didn't love it enough to do it. I actually loved the weightlifting aspect more. Um, and then those last three or four games, which are about three or four or five weeks of football, I actually started laying out a plan to like lose weight because I was walking around at 300, 315 mm. at the age of 18. I'd been bullied my entire life. I'd been picked on my entire life. Um, never really given a chance for anything because of my weight, borderline high blood pressure. I'm sure I was pre-diabetic at that time. Mm-hmm. All, all, all the usual obesity type things. And then football got over and that, that next Monday, I, I mean, looking back, it was a dramatic diet to jump right into, but I started doing cardio every day, weight training six days a week. Uh, you know, my diet went from everything and anything to a typical bro bodybuilding, like six ounces of chicken, five ounces of sweet potato, a few nuts, five, six, seven times a day. And I dropped from 315 to, I think it was 180, somewhere in the low 180s between December and August. Oh, wow. And yeah. And then I, mean, then I moved up to college, yo-yoed up and down for years. Always knew I was going to compete someday, just didn't know when or where. And being a teenager still, you're still kind of delusional where you're at with your physique. But graduated college, um, kind of jumped head into bodybuilding at that point. Now that I could focus more on that, less on college. And I think it was that that winter. Yeah, so I really, I really started bodybuilding probably in the summer of 2015 was when I really actually had a closer date in mind to actually compete. Mm-hmm. So I've been bodybuilding going on actually quote unquote bodybuilding seven or eight years, but I've been working out for almost going on 11 now. But now isn't it funny how you, you say you weren't focused, you weren't super focused on bodybuilding during your football days, but uh, that that's a common theme that I find with all of us, literally all of us. Um, whether you work out in the basement, whether you work out with a team, is that there's some there's some foundational um, stuff that's not bodybuilding, but it lays out the groundwork you need to be a bodybuilder. Do you think some of those football sessions help you for what's to come? Oh, with, without a doubt. And for anyone that's ever played football, um, you know, like half a football practice, especially like early, early on, early practices in the season, that's more mental toughness building. Like a lot of the stuff you do isn't going to carry over to the football field as far as direct one-on-one things, but the coaches are building up your mental toughness so you, you can handle what happens on the field. And I think that that's something that carried over to my bodybuilding as far as especially contest prep dieting and deep off season force feeding. It's I'm like, well, in football, we did this until you, you puked or passed out and I didn't stop even though I was, I was, I was fat and lazy. So I, I can starve myself for these last four weeks of prep. Um, and then the foundations for weightlifting was there too. So, I mean, that all carries over. So you mentioned that you just got tired of high school sports. So I want to take that and ask you and take that and ask you what made 
bodybuilding click for you? It, it's all on me. Like, I either succeed or fail because of what I do, not because of what five other people do or don't want to do or not because someone else didn't put me in a position to do well. It's like, it's like bodybuilding, powerlifting, strongman, cross, all the, all the stuff. It's, it's, it's on you. Like you, you either put in the work or you don't. And that was the biggest draw to me outside of like, just wanting to see my body kind of drop down to where I've always envisioned it. Cause I, mean, I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z. I, I grew up idolizing those, those overly hyper muscular physiques. Like when I, when I first started weight, lifting weights, that's what I wanted to look like. So I always knew that I wanted to build my body. But I didn't know I wanted to body build until high school sports were done, but I was still competitive. And that was a way to stay competitive. Even if I didn't compete, you can stay competitive by having to beat yourself on a daily basis, whether it be the mirror, the scale, weight on the bar, and all that just kind of went into a pool of I need to, I need to bodybuild. So now we're now we're officially in the bodybuilding sphere. We're getting our meals in, we're getting our workouts in, and you see your body transform. So now you're not fat Derek anymore. You're Derek who lifts weights. What was some of the reaction around friends and around family that had known you for years and they were seeing up close and personal this transformation? Was there a little bit of friction? Was there positivity? What was that experience like? Surprisingly, it was mostly positive feedback. Um, I mean, yeah, you, you get some jokes and laughs about carrying around food all day or pulling out the can of tuna in class or um, you're you're going to get burnt out, you're going to get tired of it, or I don't know how you do it. But mostly, like, especially as the weight really started to come off and I posted my first, like, before and partway through after picture and people actually saw, holy crap, he lost 40 pounds. Mm. Like, people started getting behind me. And, like, I've been pretty lucky, like, throughout my entire, I don't know, I guess bodybuilding, weightlifting, weight loss, time i've gotten very little negative feedback uh everyone's been super positive um everyone's been always supportive they've no one's ever told me like hey you're dumb you're stupid or any of that stuff so it's i, th I think the hardest part is my not my my family they 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 support me as well as anyone could ever support me but like they feel bad when they eat around me. Like they haven't got, they've never gotten over that. Like if I'm in prep and I get to a restaurant and I don't eat and I just pull up my own food, they still feel awkward. Okay. So I think a lot of people go through that, especially during uh, the summer months and especially any holiday, you know, we're, we're, we're fast approaching fall and now we're thinking savory, you know, Thanksgiving and all that. How, what are some strategies that you think that we could do as bodybuilders to kind of put your family at ease? Like, hey, I'm choosing to do this punishment. Don't feel bad that you are eating good foods and I'm eating good-ish foods. Right, right. Um, 
I, I've just I've had several talks with, like like you said, you're I'm cho- I, I'm not I'm not I'm not starving myself. I'm not I'm not being forced. Not no no one's make, not no one's making me not eat this stuff. I'm doing it because I want to, which means I don't miss that food. And so, I mean, a good strategy is, I mean, if you're not in prep, if you're not dieting for something, as far as bodybuilding goes, mm-hmm. eat the turkey they're serving at Thanksgiving. It's it's still turkey breast. It's still lean. You can pick some white meat out. That way, you're still eating your lean meat, but you're also kind of eating what the family's eating. That that's the best one I found. It's like find something that the family's eating that you can you can eat. That's not a bad choice, but. I mean, as a coach, as a bodybuilder, like if I'm not prepping, I'm eating on a holiday. Mm-hmm. But as I said, very rarely do I prep through. I don't think I've ever prepped through the holiday months, so it's never been an issue for me. But I know a lot of people do for those early shows. So I mean, it's just I think it's just a talk and then a comfort thing as far as like, hey, I want to do this. I would feel worse eating this food mentally. That would be sticking to my Tupperware container and watching you guys eat. So I'm not just watching you guys eat. I'm eating too. It's just the food I'm choosing to bring versus the food you chose to bring. And that's a good point. Um, you know, even because I, I started out as a bootleg team bodybuilder, right? So once I moved from Virginia back to Illinois and, you know, I'm trying to get my diet under control, uh, people were starting to feel crazy because like my mother took offense. I wouldn't eat her food. Uh, like massively took offense that I wouldn't eat her food. And I think that's a common thing. Um, you know, people taking offense, people being awkward, but I think if we just sit back and explain to them, Hey, this is for greater good. My food, your food is definitely not nasty. If I could diet off for your food, I would, but that's just not possible. Um, So I think a little bit of articulation and a lot of communication can go a long way. Um, But back to your bodybuilding journey. I want to ask you, what is your training philosophy? What do you what do you believe in that builds muscle? Now, does that and also that's this is a two part question. Does that change from beginner up to advanced? Okay. Um, we'll start with my personal belief and it's, I mean, it's changed over the years as I've learned, as I've experimented, but at this point, I mean, I'm a big progressive overload, I know, weight on the bar reps, um, grinding out the reps, um, tension on the muscle, like get better at something every workout to the point where you can progress on it. So it to be five more pounds on the bar or, you get extra two reps or your execution form is better or you slowed your rep down or you shorten your rest period. Like every workout progress and get better and the body's got to adapt. Uh, I was a big volume trainer early on and I mean, it worked. I mean, I put on size of muscle, but once I dropped down the frequency of training and increased my intensity of training, and stop doing as many sets and focus more on the quality of those sets. It's it's really taken off and skyrocketed these last two or three, four years. Um, I'm always trying to beat the logbook. I'm a logbook keeper. Um, and then as far as how that would change between beginner versus intermediate versus advanced, 
Um, beginner, just stick to the basics. Um, you want me, the overload is going to be there because it's a new stimulus, but you're going to get, you're going to grow and get stronger basically no matter what you do at that point, as long as you're doing something. But learn the basics, learn the form, um, learn how to place the proper tension on the muscle you're training, not just going there flinging weights. Uh, that's where I messed up at, as a beginner weightlifter, as I was just flinging weights around, you know, mm-hmm. bouncing the bar off my chest, flinging <clears throat> curls, half squatting, all that stuff. And it took me a really long time to break out of that habit. And as a beginner weightlifter, you don't need these all out death widowmaker sets to grow, get the most out of the least. Mm-hmm. Train hard, don't don't go in a lollygag, but you're you're gonna grow no matter what you do. So learn the form, learn that. So when you're you have to actually put a little more effort into thinking about how to how to progress, the, the backbone's there. Um, and I do believe younger or newer trainees should have a little more volume because they don't know how to isolate the muscle quite quite yet. They don't know how to use just your quads and a leg press or mm-hmm. just your chest and a, and a bench press. Uh, they don't know how to curl without their front belt getting involved. They can't do, you know, a side raise without shrugging their entire shoulders. So it's like they need a little extra stimulus in, on the exercises in order to um, really get hit, hit that threshold. And then as you progress through intermediate and advanced, you can lower the volume, you're placing more proper tension on the muscle, and then um, get more into like lower volume, higher intensity uh, type workouts. Was DC um, doll crap training kind of uh, the precipice for you moving from volume training to a more progressive overload? Oh my gosh, yes. Dante has done more for me without actually doing anything for me than he will ever know. Um, I've never trained true DC training, like Mm -hmm. how he has it laid out, but his threads all over the internet, his posts, his thoughts, his ideologies, like almost everything I do these days has stemmed from his teachings, his, his basically mentorship of people on the internet. Um, it, it just, it just makes sense. It's logical. Mm-hmm. Like, you, like you, you can't, you can't really argue against it. You, you can, but you're not really. You're just gonna go around. You're gonna by, lose. By. You're gonna yeah. lose at some point. Like, exactly. You, you find it. Okay, so I am, I'm in this weird phase right now where I'm training a lot. Right. Uh-huh. So I can justify training a lot because of the sphere that I'm in. But at some point, I will lose an argument in regards to really getting big and strong. It doesn't, what I'm doing doesn't work, especially with me being in the lean down phase. If you're trying to get big and strong, you trying to justify six sets per exercise and you're doing four exercises, you will eventually lose despite your body of work. Because if you're doing that much volume, then there's got to there's got to be some heavy pharmacology going on. You're not just getting that from food and a test booster like that's bullshit. So, yes, D.C. training does work. It works to a point because I'm already at that point because I'm an old broke down bastard. 
but it will even work for old broke down bastards because he does address quote unquote. And we've heard it before because we've been around the block getting weird with it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. He's, I actually just read that quote again, again, last night, someone was posting, I might've been, uh, Oh yeah. So it was someone on Instagram was talking about getting weird with it. And it's just like you said, for, for the people who've been around the block, it's the, doing things that don't hurt your joints for people who can't feel muscle groups. It's doing weird exercises that are going to hit the muscle that people would normally like scoff at at the gym. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like there's always like Dante's always got a response to almost every issue with dog, tra- dog, dog type training. Like it, there's always something that you can fix to make it work for you or make the principles work for you. And I think where, so we live in a very program, a, a very dogmatic program uh, type of industry right now, right? right? One of the, besides, like it used to be, and you know this because you came along like right as the explosion of the internet in regards to bodybuilding came along. It used to be, what cycle are you running? And it, even to that point, it still happens. But nowadays is what program are you on? And people want to do pure dog crap training when pure anything of any program doesn't really work. So you have to take those principles, those core principles, and uh, do like you've done, adapt them to you. If I do pure broad dog crap training, I'm getting injured, period. No doubt about it. Um, If you do, there's some things about pure dog crap training that you're like, eh, you know, I'm not too cool on. So now I want to get into this aspect of training age. How important is training age in bodybuilding? Meaning you being in the gym, how, how long does that play a factor in your development? I think it's, unless you're extremely lucky at a young training age and find that mentor, like bodybuilding is all trial and error. It's all guess and check. Like if, if you don't have that person taking you under your wing and you, I mean, you get the internet now, so it's, it helps a lot. Mm-hmm. If you know where to look and you're not just reading the bros telling you to do the typical stuff, but like training age, like this is why everyone starts out. First thing they go to the gym is go to the bench press and then they do some curls and then they leave. But as you, as you as you learn and as your training age increases, well, that's not the most effective thing to do. Mm-hmm. You need to train your whole body. You need to train your your backside harder than you train your front side because of posture reasons, or you need you need to actually train legs, or you need to not like you said not do six sets of eight exercises in a three hour marathon workout because eventually that's not going to benefit you anymore because you're just you're just not doing doing it right you're not doing something that's going to benefit you in the long run but uh, as i don't want to say everyone i want to speak in absolutes but as most people get older in the gym training age wise the it seems like the more basic they get they they stop trying to find the magical um, the, the sequence, magic, yeah, yeah, yeah. They realize, oh, shoot, 
and you're seeing this on social media now, how, all, all these higher training age guys on Instagram and girls on Instagram, they're all going back to the progressive overload. You know, even if they aren't doing true low, vo- low volume, high intensity, they're, they're still keeping a logbook. Like there, there's a lot of volume preachers out there that I mean, volume works. Research shows it works. There's physiques out there that show it works. I know Dr. Mike Israel is a big one, him and his kind of colleagues, they train, you know, very volume based volumes, a driver of hypertrophy. And they look great. They're, they're big. They're strong. Yeah. They, they yeah. train hard. It's just a different kind of training than what I would prefer. Like I wouldn't have fun training like that, but they do. All right. So, I mean, the other things do work, but as my training age progressed, I found out, Hey, I love training like this. I love, this is most effective for me. And the training age, it's just a, it's just a growing curve. It's a learning curve. You learn what you like, what works, what doesn't work. And then as you get older, you got to adapt to the aches and pains, the adaptations your bodies have taken. Now you bring up a good, a good segue. Um, I've had Dr. Mike on the show very early on um, when I first started. I think he was like, when we, when me and Vaughn restarted, um, I think he was like our, our third or fourth or fifth guest. I don't even remember. Um, but we had two, we had two part interviews with him. And um, here's a question that, a lot of people don't articulate or can't communicate. Where does science and hardcore bodybuilding meet? Because Dr. Mike, uh, Jared Feather, uh, all of those guys, they are science-based individuals. This is what the research has shown. These are the movements that we feel can support said research. And we're going to work these uh, until the cows come home. And again, they look great. Uh, I have their book. I still need to dive into their book a bit more. Um, but where does science and hardcore bodybuilding meet? Because, uh, you know, you, 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 you bounce that against what John Meadows says, what Dante Trudell says, what Dusty Hanshaw says, three guys that in their own right have phenomenal physiques, but don't necessarily have the science to support it. So where does that meet? Is there an apex to it? And how can we make this more palatable to people just getting inside? Because now we're getting into the point where bodybuilding, if it's not research-based, people aren't going to listen to it. Right, right. There's a fine line there. Um, Like you said, that there's people on one side of the fence people on the other side of the fence and then there's people who kind of meld in between the fences and you've you've read this online but i've read this online everyone's read this online that a lot of the times bodybuilding is ahead of the curve as far as science goes like a lot of things that these hardcore bodybuilding people are preaching end up being proven true in the long run via mm-hmm. science i mean not everything but mm-hmm. uh just to talk about protein intake for one protein intake everyone back in the olden days or the hardcore bros, high protein, high protein, high protein. Well, research shows that you only need this much protein, but people who take the high protein diet, they're, 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 they're the freaks. They're the ones that are putting on 30, 40, 50 pounds of muscle mass Mm -hmm. over the course of a few years. And a lot of these, uh, a lot of the, 
bodybuilding.com miscellaneous forum people would say you only need 0.8 grams of protein per body weight to mm-hmm. build muscle they're sitting at 180 pounds so it's it's like but now there's been some research studies have come out that said like higher protein intakes do build more lean tissue mass than the, the lower lower protein counterparts but like as far as finding that that mesh between hardcore and science based it's, it's just it's what do you enjoy like it's to me it's like yes the research there it works dr mike looks great um jared feather looks great charlie jong looks great like they all look fantastic but i would be bored to death training like they train not that it's not hard it's just mm-hmm. not what i want to do now here's a here's another question um you mentioned that you wouldn't love training like that i know that there's a few people in this in this sphere that we're in that are kind of preaching emotionally get away from what you're doing and look at it objectively but in my opinion and this is just strictly my opinion if you don't like the shit it don't matter if it works for your body or not if you don't like that you're not going to get anything out of it but what do you think about being emotionally attached to some things that aren't necessarily working out how do we drop those how do we get past that and find an alternative that we do like that that's a mental struggle for a lot of people including myself and it's it's one of those things where you just kind of for me i just kind of you take the leap you like okay i know i love this it's just it may not be beneficial so you have to take the leap i'm I'm just gonna give this a shot give it two three four months and maybe I mean, you might see better progress. You might see something positive out of it. And that's kind of the start of uh, like maybe I should be less emotionally attached to these other things as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's just kind of like you got to talk to yourself about it. You got to, you know, you could have all the people in the world telling you, hey, what you're doing might not be working. But if, if you truly are so emotionally attached to a method or an ideology, it's you're never going to do anything different just because it's what you you're attached to. So it's, I think you just kind of got to kind of take the leap. You got to look at the body of work from that. Look at where you've come from, look at what you've done and then say, Oh, Hey, these guys have done, they've progressed just like I have maybe even more. So they're saying, Hey, try this. Maybe, maybe I should try it. It's, it's just, you get basically talk yourself out of it. Let's get into contest prep a little bit. Um, you've done two shows, uh, I believe, if I'm correct. Um, what did you learn that first contest prep, and what show was it for? What did I learn? I learned that I didn't have as much muscle as I thought I had. That's, that was a big wake-up call. And I, it was it was the Mike Francois Classic, same show I just did okay. the, back in 2016. Um, I actually didn't plan on doing a show. I wasn't, I wasn't actually prepping until about nine weeks out. I was just cutting down over the winter, got a little chunky in my off or I guess in my bulk, but I'll diet down. And then as I'm dieting down, I'm still feeling pretty big. Like I still got decent muscle size, but I haven't really started to lose that baby fat yet. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I remember I posted some pictures in, uh, on the muscular development forums and uh, Ron Harris's daily pump picks thread. That's kind of where I hung out at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron Harris, Mike Cox. I mean, all those guys I still talk to this day. I remember I posted some pictures and everyone's like, oh, how far out are you? I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? They're like, well, what show are you doing? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing a show. I'm just dieting down. And I don't remember Big Mike. He came on there and goes, dude, there's like two or three shows coming up in Ohio. Look into them. You need to compete. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I've always wanted to compete, but I don't really know what I'm doing as far as like the intricacies of contest prep. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So I Googled the shows and there was the Mike Francois, which was like nine, nine weeks away. Yeah. There was, yeah. There's a Julie Palmer, which was, I think, 11 weeks away at that point. And I think there was a, like a Northern Kentucky show a few weeks after that. So there's like three shows just spread enough apart to where I could find one, fix my time, my time frame. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh. I'm, I started clicking in my head, like maybe I, maybe I should really look into it. I have these guys who know what they're talking about, who have been there, that have said, hey, do one. I mean, not because I was some big, huge, freaky bodybuilder, but just because I was getting lean enough. Why not? Why not go for it? So, um, back then, I always told myself if I ever competed, I was going to work with Matt Porter. Rest in peace. Okay. So we've we've met at the Arnold. We went to dinner together, me and my girlfriend at the time, and him and his wife Rachel. We went. We've, we've been to dinner several times. We would hang out at the Arnold. We would chat. We would chat online. He was on the boards. He know he knows my journey, my progress. So I shot him a message on Facebook. And I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about maybe jumping into a show here in 9, 12, whatever the intervals were for weeks. And I was wondering if you would maybe want to prep me. Um, I know I'm a, young, a younger guy, fresh out of college. I don't exactly have a lot of money. But I want to see what your rates are as far as having a shorter prep, he'll send me some picks. So I sent him the picks I posted and he's kind of, he just says back, LOL. He goes, you'd be ready in nine weeks. So I asked if I could be ready in nine weeks. And he stepped back, but I think it was a bunch of laughing emojis and big LOL. And it was like, you'll be ready in nine weeks. I'm like, all right. So what are your rates? Is there a payment plan option I could do? Like I, I'm, I'm like money's tight and I'll never forget get this phrase he goes Derek he goes I might live in Vegas now but I am not a betting man but I will bet on you he goes I will prep you for the show and if you win your class you'll pay me my fee however long it takes you to pay over the course mm-hmm. of however long and then but if you lose fair and square the prep's on me so you're in a win-win here Oh you your, yeah, because you, you win your class. Yes, you pay your fee, but you get to win your class. If you don't win your class, you get a free prep. And I was sold. So we started. We started that. He sent me a questionnaire that day. I'm like, I I can I can handle that. And mm-hmm. so I worked with Matt. Those last it was about nine weeks, and he, looking back at that time, I was probably a little behind for nine weeks. But he knew that, I mean, being a little extreme as far as cardio and diet goes, we could get me there pretty easily. And it was, for, it was pretty cool. 
now for those that for those that have very short memory, very short memory, uh, Matt Porter, uh, again, rest in peace, uh, was a contest prep coach slash bodybuilder uh, who had amazing, amazing conditioning and brought a lot of people in amazing conditioning. Uh, his knowledge, in my opinion, he's one of the few unparalleled uh, coaches as far as knowledge goes. Because you think you know something and Matt knows about two to three times more than you on that particular subject. Like, and he was a Mortal Kombat fan, big Mortal Kombat fan. And we've had conversations about video games and meeting up and playing video games. So you were in a win-win situation with Matt Porter. Tell us how that ended up uh, on your end. You said you, I believe you won the show, right? Or won your class. Nope. Nope. I actually finished fifth in my open heavyweight class oh okay uh, yeah i was actually i was just way undersized um i wait i wait in the morning uh, i wait in at check-in that night mm-hmm. for the show i think it was like 215 just we didn't really keep track of the evening weights we just kind of hopped in where i was going to hop in at so i was 215 in the evening and then you know we, we cut water right before check-in you know all the usual night before stuff mm-hmm. i woke up to, at 201 the morning of the show okay so i mean heavyweight cutoffs 198 and a quarter so like i was just barely a heavyweight the morning of the show and i'm 5 i'm 511 so like that's a pretty stringy looking bodybuilder but i was i was shredded i was peeled which was funny considering the only time i had abs the entire prep was the morning of the show Oh, okay. Because my loose skin, because of water retention, because of just whatever reason, my abs were just blurry. They never, they always just kind of were washed over mm-hmm. because of all, all the fat cells filled with water. So I woke up the morning of the show, sent Matt pictures and stuff, and he was like, Derek, what the fuck? I'm like, what, dude? He's like, where those abs come from? I'm like, I don't know, man. You, you did it. And uh, I said it was a one of the better heavyweight classes they've said they've ever had there at the time. Uh, two of the guys are now pro. The, the guy that actually won the class and the overall, he was one spot out from winning the pro cart uh, North Americans a few weeks after. So base, basically two and a half pros out of the top five. Um, another guy has won a few overalls since then. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been – it was a it was, it was a cool class to see myself next to some really good bodybuilders, but it made me look like it. I've never lifted weight before, but I was the hardest guy in the show. Um, the judges told me I was by far the most shorted guy there. Period. Um, I did get third in the novice. Uh, could have been maybe second, but the guy that get one first was quite a bit thicker than me because he's pretty short. But um, but now it, you're, but now you went back to the Francois and got second in the heavyweights. First. First, first. Okay. Golly, that shows you how bad I am with memory. Um, you got first in the heavyweights, you miss out on the overall. Am I correct? Yep, yep. Eric Wood, who just got second at USA's. So it's and like you do you lose to somebody that places second at the USA is like that's kind of like, okay, well I'm, yeah. you're fine with it. <laughs> I, I was I was I was just happy I, I got to like stand next to someone that that level. Um he was the nicest guy when I talked to him when we met and 
it was just kind of like, I mean, the overall was a pretty good overall for being a local show mm-hmm. because another guy in the overall, Jaden, he just got fourth at USA's mm. in the middleweight class. He won the light heavyweights at the show, at my show, but. And then another guy that was in the line, I mean, he, I don't know what his history is or what he's done, but like he was, for being a local show, I mean, he was in pretty good shape and had decent shape to him. And he was, I think he was an older guy. So like, it was a nice overall class to see myself next to some really good bodybuilders. And like I said, I walked into check-ins that night and I saw Eric standing in line. I'm like, well, uh, it'd be cool to see myself next to a national level bodybuilder. And, uh, yeah, and again, I was I was the hardest guy. Judges said I was by far the hardest guy there. So, do you think with another year of training, like I feel you can break through, get that overall win? But with another year of training, do you feel that you could take that leap from local to national? Because you've been at this thing for a minute, and your body of work, even though you don't have a lot of the wins behind you, how do you feel about? you physically stacking up to guys as say a North Americans or USA? Um, I would before I answer that question, my, my all time goals for bodybuilding, not to turn pro I'm realistic. I'll probably never turn pro. Um, I don't, I, I have pretty realistic goals as I want to be Mr. Ohio. I, I want to win the Mr. Ohio show. That's kind of my all time. If, if I retire being Mr. Ohio, then, I consider what I have done a success mm-hmm. and that I would like to finish top six to eight at a national show. I feel like that's realistic being five eleven and not weighing 265 pounds yet. But as far as answering your question and how I would stack up, I mean, I, I don't think a year is enough time for me at this point, considering that my biggest issue is, is just overall size. Um, I need to be a super heavy in order to uh, be competitive at these national shows. So you look at guys like Nate Spear, like uh, Ty Jordan. I mean, those guys are my height or shorter and weighing 20, 30 pounds more than I am on stage. Mm -hmm. And so I know that I need a solid two-plus year offseason to really get that extra thickness so I don't look as stringy next to those guys. Mm -hmm. But I I, I feel like I have have a decent-sized frame. Like, I'm a bigger guy. My body can hold quite a bit of weight comfortably. Like when I weighed 315 as a fat kid, I was comfortable. Um, I got 296, 297 last offseason. I was pretty comfortable outside of just kind of like the food bloat. So like I know I can hold a, a decent amount of size in my frame. It's just a matter of the time and if it happens genetically. Like um, I think – I read something yesterday and I screenshot it and saved it. It was off of Matt Jansen's uh, IG feed. And I, I want you to keep this in mind because I've known you for a long time and I, I've, I've seen you just progress over the years into now this, this heavyweight bodybuilder. Um, you're only one off season away from really making a name for yourself. Now, however long that off season is, that's totally up to you, but you're, you're literally just one away so I, I, I tell you this because I think you have a good frame to do very well on the national level. I don't think you're giving yourself a lot of credit, um, but you're one off season away from like people knowing 
who the hell you are and where's Tiffin, Ohio on the map. So I, I say just work with a, uh, work with your sense of work with a sense of urgency that's comfortable to you. But know that you can place a lot higher than six at a national show. I actually screenshot of that that myself yesterday too, and I think I even reshared it on my story on IG. But I mean, yeah, people, it's I don't I don't know. I'm not I don't have the best self confidence at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it stems from being bullied and being being overweight, and not really and growing up without having much confidence. But I mean, you picture yourself as. You, you can picture yourself as like the best case scenario. Right. And it's like, I, I, I like you said, like, yeah, I could probably finish better in the top six, but, but then the, the, the negative part of me, the, the self-conscious part of me is like, but there's always that, but right. And it's, it's just kind of like, I'm just going to do my best at, at bodybuilding and whatever happens, happens. And I'm just going to, check all the boxes i'm gonna you know give basically like hunter lebron win the day you you win every single day you get no regrets so it's mm-hmm. i'm just gonna keep doing that like, like you said you're one off season away and i think i reposted my story and said this is the one so i want to take as long as i need this off season to make that leap because i don't have as far as competing goes i don't have a lot of a lot of years left because i don't want to do this past my mid-30s Mm-hmm. I don't want to push the gas any harder past my mid-30s than I really have to. So, like, I'm 28. I'll be 29 in November. So, I have two, seven, eight, maybe nine really good years left of really trying to push things. So. I'm going to tell you as a 40, as soon to be a 42-year-old man, you will slide that ruler. You're going to. <laughs> My, I, I, I tell Austin stop my coach. He's one of my best friends. I always tell him, "Dude, we just got to stay light to our 90, 90 plus Masters bodybuilding pro card." I look. I say I always tell people I joke about it, but it's with a semi-serious tone. Uh, pro card by fifty. If I'm not, if I'm not a pro by fifty, I'm I'm over this shit. I'm done. I, I, I tell him, just just stay light another thirty years, man. You 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 have like one other bodybuilder to compete against in the eighty plus class. Probably if, if that. that, yeah. If so you, you'll you'll get your pro card. You just got to stay alive long enough to do it. Exactly, exactly. I want to talk about this relationship you have with uh, Austin. How did that come about, and how um, has his uh, help uh, increased your knowledge base uh, and made you a better bodybuilder? Oh man, Austin! The internet is an amazing place. I also met him on the internet. Um, it was the RX Muscle Boards, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, and I think I was 17 or 18 years old. He's a couple years older than me. Um, I think he was 19 at the time, so he was still competing as a teen. But we posted on, on the RX forums, and somehow locations came up, and we found out that we live like an hour apart. Okay. And I kind of you know, made us click right off the bat. Uh, you know, a couple months go by, and we 
post training logs and updates and all kinds of stuff on the boards. And one day he was like, dude, you should drive over and we get a workout in. So I drove the hour to Delaware, Ohio and trained at his, the gym. He, I think he was training out of that gym at the time as a trainer, mm-hmm. as well as training at the gym. And we met, we hung out, went to his apartment for a little bit, hung out, just kind of personalities just clicked. We have very similar personalities. Our thoughts on most things are almost the exact same. And then like I said, over the years, we just became better and better friends. Like we didn't hang out a lot. We didn't see each other a lot. Mm-hmm. I was off to college. He was you know, building businesses, all the stuff he does. And I remember he, he came to my, my the Francois the first time I did it, him and his wife, Jerrica, and they were just, just as excited as everyone else. And uh, that was super nice of him. And I think he had a couple of clients on the show too. But we, we've always talked all the time. And then I was in a really dark place for a couple of years, a few years ago, uh, mentally, uh, a lot of toxic relationships. Um, I shut a lot of people out, including family. I was just basically rock bottom at that point. And I was starting to come back up. I was starting to really fight forward. And he shot me a message on Facebook one day. He's, hey, you should come down to the barn gym and uh, get a workout in sometime. I'm like, all right, yeah, why not? I haven't seen you in a couple of years. Let's go for it. So I, I drove down, and uh, he was like, so when are you going to compete again? I'm like, well, I might, I might do the Francois next year, and this would have been last year, 2020. Mm-hmm. This, this would have been 2019 is when I drove down, and I'm like, next year, probably May 2020, I do the Francois again. I'm like, hey, what would it cost, cost you to, to train me? And he's like, just do the show, dude. Don't worry about anything. Just do the show. You need to get your head out of this space. So that's what I did, except COVID had other ideas. Other plans. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I prepped I prepped basically into about three weeks out condition because I did a photo shoot at the end instead. So the show got canceled eight weeks out. I'm like, hey, let's keep going. I'm gonna do I'll do a photo shoot, get some cool pics. Let's just not push it all the way to the death because we don't really need to run my body down that deep. Mm-hmm. And I have learned so much from Austin over, I mean, over the last 10 years we've known each other, but I have learned the, the, going on two years that I've actually worked under him mm-hmm. and he's coached me and it's not a, an actual like uh, official mentorship that he, he does do those. It was more of like if I have a question, he answers it and then goes in depth for me. Um, especially as as, my, as I grow my coaching business, if I get kind of a new scenario, I'm like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Like, we bounce ideas, or I bounce ideas off his head. He's way smarter than I am, so he. Just, I, I don't really try to give him any ideas, but like as far as be, me being his client, he's my coach. We see eye to eye on almost every every choice we make, every decision we make. Um, if he gives me something to do, and I'm like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" He goes, oh, "That's a great idea, actually. If you want to do that, do that instead." So, like, for example, for this off season, he he showed me his layout for my my training program 
for this coming up, this offseason I just started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I have some ideas that I've been thinking about over the, over the last two weeks of prep, but that's what we all do during prep is think about the offseason. And uh, I, he goes, yeah, email those over to me later, and uh, I'll look at them, and maybe we can compromise or meld things together. He goes, that's actually a really good, well-thought-out program. He goes, just do that. He goes, that's great. We're on the same page. And it seems like that happens to us a lot for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. We're always kind of on the same page. He might explain it better. He might be more detailed with it, but the ideas are roughly there the same. So you have this, you have this kind of uh, this gel as a coach client slash uh, s- soon to be colleague because you're getting into your own coaching business. Tell us what it's like being an emerging coach and did formal education help play a role in that? Yeah. I mean, anyone that formal education wise, I have my bachelor's degree in exercise physiology. So I have a four year degree in the field. And then I was, I've actually, I was actually in a DP, a doctor of physical therapy program for a year before I kind of hit rock bottom. So I, I have a little bit of a background in that as well, but I don't know if anyone else has experiences, but I, I, I feel a lot of frustration trying to build my business at times with social media because I'm not the girl with the big booty. I'm not the guy with the shredded abs year round who has you know, tens of thousands of followers. I'm Derek Lush from Tiffin, Ohio. I know, I know what I'm talking about. I, I walk the walk. I do what I do, but the clients just don't stick because I'm not some Instagram famous influencer. So, um, so where do you think that you can, strengthen that uh strengthen that because i I, i'm the same way right i write programs i don't touch nutrition i'm not i'm not as comprehensive as a lot of other people are so where do you think that you can because at the end of the day the shredded dude and the instagram booty are they're going to get clients they're going to get it what do you think that you can do better to bring in more clientele and to also proliferate uh, that, Hey, I'm here. I'm not as flashy as the other guys, but I'm a dependable coach. Right. I know my, my biggest things that I've told myself I'm going to work on has been being more active as far as posting educational information, Um, do more YouTube videos, do more like just, IGTVs, Instagram posts, as far as like a lot of stuff I post is about myself, me training, my journeys, but I would, I really want to get to like doing informational videos on different topics and whatnot. And then I, I am taking, I'm taking, I'm taking initiative to take more like educational classes through these coaches that offer them. Like Austin offers classes, Jeff Sue offers classes, Mark Tominick and his team offer classes just to learn about different topics. Like I took one from Austin. Oh, I was a week out, two weeks out about Dutch tests and how to read them and how to interpret them and how to uh, kind of combat the issues that arise from reading Dutch tests. Mm -hmm. And like, 
I'm just trying to expand my knowledge base so I have a, a wider range that I can offer people. And I think what's really going to help me now is I got a nice, healthy bag of clients right now where I can get some testimonials. I can get some before and afters. I can get some progress pictures. And really, sh- I don't have anything other than myself that shows, hey, I know what I'm doing. It's just right. my word. So now I'm having, I just posted one the other day of Cat. They're doing awesome. But I'm gonna, I, I have, um, I ran a, sp- I ran a special. Uh, I got some clients to sign up for a long, ter- longer term deal than just a month because you have how many people that sign up for a month realize, oh hey, there's no secret sauce here. And they bounce. Yeah, exactly. After two weeks. Well, yeah, I got my money paid for a month, but I don't have any testimonial or before and after to show that I know what I'm doing. I almost rather have that than money at this point. Yeah. So I got quite a few clients to sign sign up longer term than just a month and they're all they're all killing i just post them on twitter like all my clients are killing it lately and i can't wait to post some more before and afters and i think that's really going to help show people that hey Derek can do he actually knows what he's talking about he's just not some bodybuilder with decent genetics that can make himself change he can help other people with his knowledge base what do you think is the common misconception of coaching uh, now that you're in that realm, what what were some of the things that you thought coaching was that ended up being absolutely counter to what it actually is? Oh man, the biggest one. Uh, I used to think coaching. You, you, I used to think coaching is just you, they, people check. I mean, you, you get sent out the plan. They check in weekly, ask questions as they need, and they're on their way with their plan. But there is a lot of uh, counseling that goes into coaching as far as like people, a a lot of clients are always, how do I word this? They, they, they like reassurance, but not too much reassurance. Like there's a fine line. There's a lot of mental, mentalness that goes into coaching outside of just, Hey, here's your training program. Here's a diet. Mm -hmm. Here's the answer to your questions. Um, there's a lot of critical thinking that goes into it. Like uh, one client I have is a recovering, she's a recovered eating disorder. Um, and she, I gave her her initial diet, which was a decent amount of food, but still enough to where she should be in a deficit. And she just wasn't used to eating four or five meals a day. And then it was triggering her ED a bit. Mm-hmm. Where she was having bad thoughts, but she even says like, "Hey, I find myself having to stuff my face at times." So what we do, we gave her less meal frequency, bigger meals, so they're more spread out. You, you had to critically think through that. Like that wasn't an issue of her just not losing weight. That was a mental issue we had to work around. That was a that that's been what I found to be the most difficult challenge as far as coaching goes, is mental blocks for people the whole motivation side of things um it's just not all diet and training there's other things that go into it what are some of the steps if so we're just going to say if people want to get into coaching um i know this is a this is a very topic but it's something i i try to ask every coach that comes on here what are the steps that are needed 
to become a coach? Um, you need to be willing to learn and realize that your way might not be the best way and you need to have an open mind. Um, that's why I have found, like, there's, there's always something you can be learning. You don't want to give up on being better. You don't want to say, hey, I'm smart enough. Time to be a coach. Like, no, you all... You, you always got to be growing in some form or fashion. And then uh, you, you may need to have a knowledge base. You need to be, you need to be able to motivate people to do, to do, to do the work. Um, you can't just be, I mean, after a while, I'm sure you can be, but as far as a newer coach getting into it, like you need to somehow be able to bring attention to you as far as being outgoing or more outspoken um, interesting because i know a lot of people want to get into coaching but they feel like they have to have a lot of a lot of credentials like there, there are some credentials needed but also at the same time you know the blood sweat and tears that goes into your craft it counts right you know um and <laughs> I think the best I think the best thing that I've read is uh, from 531 Jim Wendler yeah. uh, when he wrote that program in it. It said, oh, you have degrees and whatnot. Fuck you. I have blood, sweat and vomit. Um, so I, I, I definitely think you must be in a position to consistently learn. Even Dave Tate says that you must be in a constant state of learning. Um, but I think one thing that a lot of people do is that they shortchange themselves. And I know I do it. I do it today that they shortchange themselves and feel like they don't know uh, enough to adequately say, Hey, my services are here. Here's what I know and believe in. How do people get over that mental roadblock of not wanting to put themselves out there? Oh, it's tough. I, I still struggle with that too. So that's tough for me to answer. Um, I know a lot of the things that I've done has stemmed from people telling me, like people who who are established coaches tell me, just do it. Mm -hmm. Just post. Just stick with it. Goes, if you don't get any any responses, just do it again a week later. Just constantly keep doing it. Um, I, I still I still feel like I'm blowing up people's feeds. I st all all that stuff. Like it's, it's just a time thing. It's I guess it's, I, I don't really have a, an exact answer for that because I myself still struggle. But my advice would be just take the leap and post it. Take the leap and put yourself out there. I mean, the worst that can happen is people ignore it. Yeah. Then nothing changes for you then at that point. You're, you're still doing what you're doing. And the best case scenario is you, you, get, you get a bite. You, you get one bite. And you use that one bite and give them everything you have. And maybe that will lead to more bites, which is what's happening for me right now. So it's, there is light, but you have to take a leap. You have to put in a little bit of work to get to that point. That's excellent. Excellent. So we're coming up towards the end of our uh, video. Um, if people, or interview rather, um, if people don't realize that uh, we have full-time jobs that we have to do. Um, so we're going to get into a quick little rapid fire round. I'm just going to mention something and I want you to give me the first 
gut feeling or the or the first gut reaction that you have. Terrible things. Let's do it. All right. John Cena. You can't see him. Okay. That's a fair. That's fair. Uh, Mike Francois Classic. Oh, fantastic show. Fantastic, well-ran show. Nick Walker. Oh, freak. Austin Stout. Oh, genius. Smartest guy you'll ever meet. Contest prep. Oh, suck. The barn gym. Oh, hardcore. And probably the most fun you'll ever have at the same time. Living in Ohio is? The best and the worst. Okay. Can we expand on that for a minute? Yeah, please. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Ohio's great because everything you can get anywhere you want in Ohio in basically a three-hour drive. Um, And there's just about everything you can imagine. I mean, we got got Cedar Point amusement parks. We got Columbus, Toledo, Cincinnati, Akron, like all kinds of different kinds of cities and places. But at the same time, like it's Ohio, the weather, the weather's, ter- I hate the weather so much here. Um, summer, summer humidity, the winter negative 30 degree wind chills. Like it's, you get both ends of the spectrum as far as weather goes. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of Ohio is farmland, so you don't really have a lot of, I mean, there, there's, beautiful places there's nice scenery there's nice nature trails but it's not like going to the grand canyon or going to you know the everglades or any of that any of that stuff it's ohio's it's ohio yeah <laughs> that i've always seen those ohio shirts that say worst state ever yeah. i'm like hey it couldn't be that yeah. bad it's not that bad yeah, not I, as I'm long as not, not as long as indiana exists People oh, from Indiana don't kill me. Um, that drive from the Arnold from Chicago to Columbus is is kind of a haze. Uh, I'm sure it's, it's a lot of blurs. Um, let me see. Arnold Classic. Oh, um, crazy. It's always crazy every year. The competitions, the, the crowds, any of that. Your five-year plan. Who established my coaching business? Um, that's my biggest priority is is, is to be a more established coach. Um, my goal, this is outside of five years. My my all time goal is to be able to. I don't know if I ever quit working an actual job, but like at least drop to a part time job to where I can focus on more clients because I just want to see everyone reach their goals. Mm-hmm. So five year plan, established coaching. I want to, within the next five years, I want to win Mr. Ohio. That's that's a big one, bodybuilding wise. I want to I want to marry my girlfriend Candy. That's a big one. I really want to get that done. That's something I've been wanting to do for a while now. So it's, I'm sure she'll listen to this. So she'll hear this. <laughs> but um, yeah, th- those are the three big ones: is establish my coaching business, win Mr. Ohio, and marry my girlfriend. The legacy I want to leave is Derek Lutz is. You can do anything you want. Um, I went from obese, 315-pound bully kid to you know, winning my weight class at a bodybuilding show with striations in my butt and shredded abs and 
being tall is a much shorter guy there. Like, if I would have told anyone I was going to do that 10 years ago, I don't know what kind of I, I probably wouldn't have gotten a reaction. It was so out there and stupid. So it's and anything in life, you can do whatever you want as long as you want to do it and you want it bad enough. All right. Well, that's it for our interview. Um, any parting words, anyone you'd like to say thank you to and uh, give a plug for your coaching business and where people can reach you at. Yeah. Uh, I want to say thank you. Like I said, to my wonderful girlfriend, Candy, she, uh, she puts up with way more than she needs to, especially during prep. She's my biggest supporter. She does everything for me. Um, you know, thank you to my family, my mom, my dad, my sister, they support me more than anyone throughout the last 10 years. Um, thank you to everyone who's ever given me advice over the years online in person any of that i mean huge thank you to austin for being one of the best friends a guy could ask for and one of the best coaches a guy could ask for he's fantastic um i'm sure there's many not many others but we don't have all day as far as reaching me uh my instagram at Derek lutz no space d-e-r-e-k-l-u-t-z um dm me there look at my bio um i have an email posted link tree um You'll find all the links you need there for my coaching. Um, I take on all kinds of any, any client, general health, lifestyle, competitors, um, you know, male, female, sports based. I, I can do just about any, any, any. We'll talk about your goals and figure it out. And I can figure out just about anything at that point. Um, and I ask out of Facebook, Derek Lutz. I think Instagram is usually the easiest to find me. Uh, my profile picture will be me and my girlfriend holding our trophies from the show. So there's some random Derek Lutz out there who isn't holding a trophy, then that's not me. All right. Well, Derek, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, this has been a very, very fun interview. Um, we'll talk more offline about some uh, stuff in professional wrestling. I didn't want to bog the podcast. Oh, down that go all day with that. Oh, God, we can definitely go all day with that because WWE obviously does not want anybody to watch them these days. Oh, no. I just told my, I just told my dad that last night when I was talking to him. Like, they, re- they released Br- Bray Wyatt. Like, I don't, think anybody, I don't think they care anymore. They they released Bray Wyatt, and then I don't know. Let's just bring back Goldberg, see what type of reaction we get. <laughs> I said the same thing, too. He's I'm like, title shot. I, it's so funny. Like, there's these YouTube clips of Goldberg when he's 30 pounds heavier and 20 years younger. That's like me looking at the Huskers from 1994. Right, right. And expecting that that field of players to actually take the field and be ready to play college football again. And here's one thing. Goldberg back in his prime, he still wasn't the best wrestler as far as like to, as far as being an entertainer goes. He just kind of speared people and looked intimidating. Yeah. No, he was terrible. It's even worse now. I believe it. Yeah. His Outside of that, just, there's nothing cool about him. Yeah. Like, you come back briefly, you get in the Hall of Fame, you get a pop. But as far as matches, title shots, like, no. No. It's this cat that needs to get a title shot. And he's on a smaller – well, he's not even in WWE. He's in Ring of Honor. Um, This kid named Jonathan Gresham. Yeah, yeah. I watch he Ring of Honor. He's good. Yeah. Like he's dumb good. Like there's there's a lot of guys that people never heard of that are dumb good that that need to get into the big shots. Yes, they definitely need it. Um, 
because I, I like Ring of Honor. Um, I don't watch much of it, but I look at clips here and there. I, I DVR it, and if I get time, I watch it. But yeah, yeah, I know exactly Jonathan Gresham. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, he's crazy good. But we could be on this all day. But thank you, Derek, for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for asking. This was this was fun. Well, hopefully, before, so it's well. Hopefully, it leads to more. Hopefully, it leads to more. This is a a young emerging podcast, so I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah, thank you. So for Derek Lutz, Vaughn Ateen, I'm Larry Brown. Uh, please subscribe to us on Apple iTunes. Uh, please like and subscribe this on like and subscribe to this on YouTube, and we'll bring you more content. So thanks again, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.